Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Delighted to have you with us. And we would love to see you at our conference Monday, June 14th, 2021. Day before the Southern Baptist Convention. That conference is called Be It Resolved. A call for resolution in uncertain times, and uh, we desperately need a resolution. We need to be resolved. We need to be strong and courageous. We need to know what it means to have a backbone, and all of that is going to be coming your way at that conference. So I'll be giving a message. You'll be giving a message. Mm. Let's see. We got Virgil Walker just right. thinking. Uh, we'll be giving a message. We got uh, Dr. Tom Nettles, retired professor at Southern Seminary, will be giving a message. We've got Coppinger. old Pastor Tom Buck and old Texas Buck's going to yeah. be there. Uh, we're just going to have a James great time. Tittman. Yep, good, good group of guys, great group of uh, topics that we'll be addressing, and we'll culminate with a prayer meeting on that Monday night. Jim Scott Ork will be uh, leading us in the final message address, and then we're going to just call each other to pray and humble ourselves before God ask him to do what only he can do. So please uh, come join us if it's all possible. This is for those that are going to be at the convention the 15th and 16th of June, but it's not limited to that. So if you live in the Nashville area or if you can get to Nashville, come join us on June 14th for the Be It Resolved conference. Also, if you haven't seen it yet, you've got to go watch uh, episode four of Wield the Sword. <laughs> Dr. Mark Coppinger uh, addresses aesthetics, and he does so yeah. in a wonderful way, in a way that only uh, Dr. Coppinger <laughs> could right. do. And so I uh, hope you're enjoying those. We intend to continue to drop them. Uh, number five with Ben Merkel um, at education. New St. Andrews College <laughs> is uh, coming out uh, soon. And so just uh, tap into that Wield the Sword project and be uh, praying for us as we're working towards season two. So right. uh, six through 10 are teed up and they should be coming uh, your way. In That's the right. And these things, they, they do cost money and we're grateful for those that have helped sponsor this. Uh, we still need financial resources to get the season two episodes that we've already shot a lot of the footage for uh, produced. So if you can help us with that, if you go to the Wheel of the Sword page uh, on the Founders website, then you can find out how to do that. And we would welcome any financial support that you could give and appreciate all of our fan members that uh, support us regularly that help us to keep going uh, while we wait for those extra resources to get these things produced. So today we want to talk about the Institute of Public Theology, and we want to talk about it um, just honestly about, you know, it's, it's fascinating to watch how things develop. You know, yeah. it's fascinating to be a temporal being. You know, we're not God. It's like, like we were experiencing. Well, how do you know it's fascinating? We're experiencing time. Uh, because <laughs> how do you know it's I, more fascinating I, than I, not I have, uh, <laughs> I have actually had uh, a thought come to me. I have, have, I have something has occurred to me. It's never <laughs> occurred to God. But. Um, yeah, I mean, here we are with the Institute on the horizon. Uh, applications are coming in, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. They're coming in pretty rigorously. Yeah. And so if you're interested in applying, um, I encourage those of you out there who are looking at that and think, you know, there's no way that I'm going to be able to do that. That's not for me. It's too much. Um, you know, check that. Maybe you should go ahead and go to the Institute of Public Theology and go through that application process. Uh, it will be rigorous uh, indeed, and there's going to be sacrifice involved. But we believe this is a really good thing. And if you're uh, sensing a call to the ministry, if you're interested in engaging in pastoral ministry, if you're uh, interested in the things that we've been talking about, uh, I encourage you to apply. We would love to review that and then try to get back to you. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. We got some good courses lined up and good guys teaching them. Yes. So let's just discuss how this thing 
really came about yeah. and uh, involved in that is going to be, you know, what's the what's the need for it? What's the goal for it? Yeah, well, it's, it is fascinating. I mean, and people have asked me, man, when did this idea originate? Well, it originated about 25 years ago uh, with things that we saw going on in the culture. I remember reading uh, about that time a little two-inch column in the Wall Street Journal saying that MIT was going to put all of its courses online for free. And back then, of course, what that meant was just the transcripts of the lectures because we didn't have near the access that we have today on the internet with audio and visual uh, technologies. And I mean, I read that and I thought, okay, the world is changing. It's changing, it's inevitable. So from that, over the next couple of years, we developed the Founders Online Study Center. And God raised up a, a man uh, out in the in Kansas who was very generous and gave us money to launch that online study center. We did that. We have since trained, I don't know how many, it's, it's well over a thousand, maybe a couple of thousand folks from around the world. We wanted to make theological uh, instruction available, low cost to people anywhere. And so we've done that very consistently now for the last couple of decades. And then at the beginning of COVID, when, you know, everything was shut down and, uh, I don't know, I'm sure I was like a lot of people, you know, just thinking, what, what am I going to do with my time? And how do I do this? I started walking to go visit grandchildren that live nearby and, and listening to books and, uh, trying to think and meditate and pray. And, and one day when I was doing that, my wife sends me a text about uh, uh, a facility that came up for sale in another state. And it's a facility we were familiar with, and you know it's got a lot of uh, resources attached to it. And so I just texted a friend of mine and said, hey, help me buy this. You don't have any money, but I figured, you know, this guy's a businessman, he could do it. So he gets on the phone, he's with the CFO that day talking about this. And through that, you and I and a handful of other guys uh, formed a little LLC and we started looking at how we might purchase a facility that would allow us to have a training institute and other things as well. Well, that didn't work out. But the things we learned in that process began to uh, direct our attention to, you know what, you know, rather than try to set something up in a, another geographic location, why don't we do that right here in Cape Coral? Why don't we start a training institute right here? I mean, of course, 2020, as it developed, we saw the, the fruit of these godless ideologies just wreaking havoc and violence on our nation. We saw evangelical leaders caving in and not assessing it rightly at all. And in our engagement with some of those evangelical leaders, uh, it was just obvious. It's obvious. We're not operating out of the same playbook. We're not reading the Bible the same way about how to understand the world and how to respond Christianly to the things going on in the world. So all of that fomented together. And I don't remember the exact moment, but I know you and I had been talking for weeks and weeks about these things. And uh, it was in June, July, August of 2020, when these ideas came together, the shift was made from another region of the United States to Cape Coral. And uh, you and I talked about it. You were in, I was in. I picked up the phone, called Vody Balkum in Lusaka, uh, Zambia, which, you know, I just never do. I always text him to make sure he's awake and, you know, available because it was pretty late in Zambia. And I said, hey, Vody, we're thinking about starting a school that will focus on public theology and be a, uh, a way that uh, men can be trained for the ministry and other Christians that are serious about God, wanting to learn how to think about what's going on today and apply the gospel to that uh, can come and uh, be instructed. And we'd like for you to be a founding faculty member. And, you know, it's like, it took me three minutes to say that. And he said, I'm in. 
I'm in. So I thought, awesome. So I think that was you know pretty late in the day. So the next day I called Tom Nettles, talked to him. Tom came on board. And so I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing to me. You know, here are three of my closest friends and guys that I would trust my back to in any moment, people that I would count on in any battle. And they are willing to engage in this effort. So, man, I I can't think of a better founding faculty than what God has given to us. And I don't don't mean that to include myself. It's kind of amazing that I'm a part of it. But the fact that God has woven those relationships and put those men in the position that he has and has built into them the grace and virtues that he has. Again, you you three guys, I trust you implicitly. And I, I would jump in any boat and sail with you because I, I know your character. I know your commitment. You've got conviction as well as blood mixed in with your convictions. And so I'm excited about making this available to anyone who wants to come and get the kind of theological, practical worldview training that we're talking about. Yeah. When somebody asks, you know, why an institute of public theology, what are you really driving at there? And um, how has this grown as a burden for me? I got to go all, all the way back to like the way I grew up, you know, I mean, I grew up in a small town in central Florida, very conservative place, you know, I mean, none of the nonsense that has happened in our land over the last year has happened where I'm growing up. I mean, this doesn't happen. Somebody's starting to go try to throw a rock. I mean, there's going to be a lot of good conservative folk. Like, What's wrong with you? Go home. <laughs> like you're just mm. not going to get it. Uh, in a in a faithful gospel preaching church, you know, I'm just born and raised in it, man. I'm on that Sunday morning. I'm on that Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday uh, evening discipleship training, Sunday evening worship, and then that Wednesday evening, come on to youth group. Go ahead and get you a spaghetti dinner every Wednesday, and then you get your get your uh, youth choir in there, you know, then your spaghetti dinner, then your <laughs> youth group, and then your little basketball afterwards. I mean, it's just we're rocking it. They drop those fifth quarters on it for those people that know about those mm-hmm. fifth quarters. That's mm-hmm. an old tradition right there. You go to the football game on Friday night, watch all four quarters, and then you have a fifth quarter. And that's going to, and then occasionally you have what's called an afterglow. An afterglow. <laughs> More that, serious than fifth quarter. That's your Sunday night. That's your Sunday night. You've already been there from 4 30 to 8, but you're going to go to somebody's house and have a slice of pizza. You know what I mean? You can do, do more stuff. And so, uh, all that to say, just a faithful gospel preaching church. Uh, even so growing up, it was, it was like, there was this, this is, this is the church. This is my time with the Lord. This is the Bible. This is my uh, personal life before God. And then there was like, what do I do about these other, like, what about my school? So what do I, when I go and get trained for five days a week in education, what does that have to do with Jesus? And it seemed like there was a bit of a detachment, you know, we're not talking about him there. And, uh, and then what do you think about just the rest of your life and recreation and sports and all of these things? Well, there's a detachment there. And, uh, boys, I was, uh, went off to college, went to seminary and, uh, started working through a particular book in seminary that blew my mind. And that was David Wells's, uh, no place for truth, whatever happened to, uh, evangelical theology. And I'm reading this and my mind is just spinning because I'm starting to see, okay, um, this, this kind of privatized thing that doesn't apply to my life is a way that I grew up and the way that I've actually thought about it. And then the, the Christian ministry um, is only going to focus on that one sphere and it's not going to have implications or applications or an awareness of what's going on more broadly. It's not going to have an awareness of what's going on in culture, what's going on in politics, what's going on in society. All of those things are kind of off limits. And I remember talking to you when I was reading uh, No Place for Truth and I think you mentioned when you were doing your dissertation that that was the book that 
what you were saying when I'm done. That I'm was actually re- Alan Bloom's closing of the American mind, but because this one didn't come out for a couple more years, but, but yes, they oh, have the okay. same thing from different angles, but yes. All right. Well, that would be good too. And <laughs> yeah. Bloom's book would be another uh, total example Absolutely. of kind of where we're going. But of course, Wells, the thing about Wells is he's driving that into evangelical theology and how we ought to, to live. Uh, so I, if somebody asks, what, what is this Institute about? One way to get at an answer would be to quote Wells. Mm-hmm. And uh, this can be found at the Institute of public org. If you go to uh, why public theology, we have a statement there about why we're doing what we're doing. And uh, this is a quote from Wells book. He says this pastors once believed that they were called to think about life, to think in ways that were centered in and disciplined by the truth of God's word. Although as Tocqueville observed, there has always been a tendency latent in the American soul to think of religion in terms of its utility rather than its truth. Modernity has now exaggerated this tendency to the extent that the older ways of understanding the pastor's responsibilities are disappearing along with the older ideas about training pastors for their work. As the technological world has encroached upon the pastorate, management by technique has come to replace management by truth. Mm. And there's, (laughs) so whatever happened, you know, whatever happened to evangelical theology, there is no place for truth Mm -hmm. anymore. And uh, people would want to object to that. No, there's place for truth. I mean, I'm doing a lot of management. I'm doing a lot of planning. I'm doing a lot of programs and I'm, I'm I'm committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm just trying to minister and and find a way to get that gospel into people's lives, you know, but from that vantage point, there's a drifting away from what God has revealed and standing upon that word and proclaiming it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ministry has gone professional and that's been to the great detriment of what God calls men to be in shepherding his flock. And what we want to recover in this is a recognition that no, God has spoken. He's given us his word. That word is sufficient for us as we think about living in his world and God's people are to be shepherded by qualified men called out, set apart, recognized to guide them. And so this institute, we're, we're aiming at pastors. It's not limited to pastors. So anyone who is serious, any serious Christian can uh, apply and enroll and come be a part of it if you're accepted into the program. And even you can audit it on a much lower uh, basis where you don't have to go through all those uh, detailed application processes. But we're shooting for those men who will stand in the pulpits and instruct God's people, who will equip them for every good work. And that every good work includes more than what they do on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or any other time the church gathers. It's what they do in the in-between times of life. It's what they do in their vocations. It's what they do in their callings within a family. It's what they do in their communities. And so God's people need to learn to think biblically about all of life. And again, what 2020 did was exposed just how poorly uh, we have thought about these things and how badly we have trained people, even Christian leaders, to think about these things. And so as we've come to terms with that and we tried to catch up ourselves and read the Bible and think clearly about all of these issues we're talking about, we realized, man, this we need to help others do it. And of course, I mean, people have been calling us and emailing us and writing us all the time, and they're grateful for these podcasts, grateful for the things the founders have been producing, and we want to continue to do that. But we just felt like a more structured, formal way of helping those who are serious about it and are willing to pay the price and the cost of study, disciplined study, uh, to come and learn that if we could do that, we would serve well in the kingdom with the time and energy God gives us. 
Yeah, another way to get at what what you'll experience <clears throat> at the Institute of Public Theology is in our in our doctrine of God and the way that we think of of God. Um, there there can be a subtle neglect of God as Creator. So you have you have God as Creator and you have God as Redeemer. And if we only think of God as Redeemer and not as Creator, then some really squirrely things begin to happen. Like we that mm-hmm. and and then taking that doctrine of God as Creator and bringing that down to every pastoral all all of your classes. So it's going that's going to apply to pastoral theology. Absolutely. That's going to apply to preaching. That's going to apply to your apologetics. Why we would have Vody Bacham's um, um, coming upcoming um, class cultural be called apologetics. cultural yeah. apologetics. There's something there about about noticing that we have um, we've neglected this doctrine of God as Creator, and that's a lot of what's happened with you know some of the recent works that we've been doing and the ways that we're seeing um, Christianity attacked. Is uh, there's kind of a deal? Okay, well we'll let you keep God as some kind of redeemer. Uh, but we're not going to have them as as creator. And then you think, you know, you think, well, can I just double down that and say, well, we still hold to a substitutionary atonement. Mm. Well, you're not going to if you deny creation and if you deny creation doctrine, if you deny that there is a creator. So that might be one way to get at it. How, how would you explain to somebody? All right. So you're going to be teaching pastoral theology coming up this mm-hmm. fall. You know, I go to a seminary and I just hear a kind of a, a straight up pastoral theology, you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's different about a pastoral theology at the Institute of Public Theology? Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for what I've seen in, in some of the seminaries over the last 10, 15 years where pastoral ministry has shifted into pastoral theology, which is great, you know, because all of pastoral theology, all of pastoral ministry is theological. And so if you're not thinking about the work as a pastor theologically, you're not thinking about it as you should. And that's the whole point of the quote that you read by David Wells. You know, it's easy to become a smooth manager. It's easy to become a professional where you understand techniques and methods and you employ those and you're not thinking theologically about your work. So pastoral theology in the Institute of Public Theology is going to have that dimension to it where all pastoral ministry is theological and recognizing that all theology is for all of life. All theology begins with Genesis 1-1. You cannot forget that this is God's world, and he has established how this world works. He has told us how we are to live in this world. Sin has encroached upon God's world under his divine wisdom and providential rule of it, but it has done so for a purpose, and he's given us the way that we are to respond appropriately to sin. We live in a sinful world, but we have a Savior, and so we are to honor that Savior who is on a mission today and he is going to renew all things and so we pray you know your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and your kingdom come we want that so what does that mean for pastoral ministry that means there's nothing off limits and that means we don't say okay uh, here's what it means to be a pastor you help your people learn how to pray to read the bible to sing to come to church and then you know you just pray for them during the week no it means you tell them, tell them how to help them to, to think biblically about what to do politically. It, it means that you help them realize that politics is not off limits in thinking Christianly. And indeed, there's no area off limits. And so we want to help pastors help God's people to live well in God's world. So everything, it's public, it's not private. The, the, the piety 
is a public piety. It's a piety that goes beyond the walls of the church. And if we are doing that right as pastors, it will come out in our sermons. It will come out in our counseling. It will come out in our prayers. It will come out in our discipleship. And it will come out in our evangelism. You know, why, why do we evangelize? Well, we certainly should evangelize because there are people who are lost and are going to hell. And if they don't trust Jesus, they will spend an eternity in hell. And, and so that's a, that's a frightful thought and compassion, love ought to constrain us. But that's not the greatest motivation for the Christian. The greatest motivation for the Christian is found in the reality that our God is working all things together for our good. And that good involves getting us safely to heaven and conforming us completely to the image of his son, as Romans 8, 28 through 30 says. And the son is going to be given preeminence. He is the one that this world is about. God created the world for Jesus Christ to be seen as the only Savior, the only Lord that this world has. And so the glory of God is the the ultimate cause, as Edward puts it, for the creation of the universe. And with that, then we need to teach people how to evangelize by First of all, recognizing that our Lord and Savior is worthy. He deserves to have every sentient being, every image bearer bow to him, turning from sin and trusting him and following God and honoring God as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's so much there. I hope as people consider uh, what a, what would a pastoral theology class look like, what kind of ways, what, in, which, in which ways would you be trained? Um, there is so much glory there, and there's a lot of there's, there's just a lot of work to be done mm. there. Right? Mm-hmm. There's definitely a book and trying to work through. Here's what it's going to look like to uh, pastor people, given these truths that we're committed to. One way I was thinking of it as you spoke was the the pastor's job is to shepherd God's people uh, to know Him as both Redeemer and Creator. Uh, so part of my job is is not just to have you know God as Redeemer more and more, mm-hmm. but that laboring to present everyone perfect in Christ that Paul talks about involves uh, here here I'm going to teach you how to observe all that Christ has commanded and how to live before God as creator mm-hmm. and as redeemer and then you start to think of the um, physical spiritual dimensions you know it's like um, sometimes there's this there's this other problem if you don't have the public theology idea in your pastoral ministry it's like well I just do spiritual stuff mm-hmm. I don't do physical stuff at all you know which is kind of fun I we enjoy this in my house you know we um, you know, Dr. Jared Longshore and the kids or something like you're a doctor, you know, and then like the older ones that get it like, but yeah, but not the kind that can help you with yeah. your sickness at all. I mean, again, uh, not the kind that can really help you at all. You know, it's like, well, no, we can really help. We can help. We just, uh, we have limitations. Um, but nevertheless, you overplay that to the point where you say, well, we only, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a nurturer of souls. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, good. That's what you ought to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but what about the body? So does the body does that have implications for the body? Does it, do you have instructions pastorally for the body? You know, no, you don't touch the body. I got a physical doctor that helps me with my physical <coughs> stuff, and you can help me with my spiritual stuff. It's like, well, no, that's see, there's a problem there, and so. I think the uh, pastoral theology will push in some of those areas too and, uh, and require biblical thinking about those dimensions. Yeah, without a doubt. And to be a true physician of the soul, you have to deal with the soul that is embodied. You have to deal with the soul in the physical world. Can't so get Gnostic. No, that's right. So it's not saying, oh goodness, you know, you're just giving up uh, spiritual reality. No, this is spiritual reality. 
I mean, this is what it means to be a Christian in the world as you live body and soul. God loves us body and soul. He redeems us body and soul. And we're going to live as those fully conformed to Christ forever, body and soul. So there's no way around that. Well, you're teaching a course on preaching uh, in the Institute. So how is your course on preaching going to be different than, you know, what maybe you were trained in or what would you could get in any uh, place that has a course on treat, on preaching? Yeah, one of the things I encourage folks to do to get a little... Um teaser of that would be to go to your wheel of the sword episode one you know where you addressed um god's world and god's word hmm. and uh you take those two ideas and put them together and you start to say okay again some of this is god as creator god as creator doctrine applied to the preaching of the word along with god as redeemer doctrine of course you're not going to neglect that but um what does it mean that this is god's world and how does that influence the preaching of the word to the people of God mm-hmm. that, uh, that have repented and believed? You're shepherding a flock, so you still have this preaching. You're not, you're not an evangelist. You know, you're, not, you're not going up there and doing evangelism every Sunday. You're, you're preaching God's word to edify and to nurture uh, the people of God that are covenanted together before him. And, but you're doing that to embodied souls, who are to live before the face of their creator as they are commissioned out the following week, who need to know what the word of God says to them so that they can live uh, with wisdom. And so you're, you, you actually have to be aware of uh, what's going on around you. We often talk about uh, the Westminster confession or Westminster catechism says word of God must be preached to the necessity and capacity of the hearer. Mm -hmm. And uh, to understand the necessity and capacity of the hearer, also involves knowing what's going on in the world around them to know what kind of ideologies are coming in upon them to know what kind of temptations they may very well be experiencing or um, what bad ideas are still somehow ingrained in them and informing the way that they're thinking about christ and the way that they're thinking about their families and the way they're thinking about their duties before god and so uh, stepping back and saying god is the god who speaks he speaks in creation. He speaks in a special revelation in the scriptures as well. So understanding those two uh, forms of revelation that we have from God and um, then applying that biblical word to God's people. Um, it's remarkable to think that God, God created the world by his word. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he spoke the world into existence. And then we're told in the new Testament that even now Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so as you consider that one, what one, what it will do in your preaching is going to help you to see um, illustrations. It will help you to, to say, here's the biblical word. I'm preaching to you the special revelation, this text right in front of us. This is what God has said. And now let me show, let me make some connections. Since you're going to be living before the creator, let me make some connections of how you see these things operating in the world around you. Um, this just happened recently in a teaching here. I was speaking of uh, the cultural mandate and uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And Genesis 2, God puts Adam in the garden to work it and to keep it. And then when the fall comes, where does the curse come? The curse comes for the man right uh, upon the place that he received in the cultural mandate. You're supposed to work mm-hmm. the ground and now the curse is going to make that hard. And where does the curse come? Upon the woman, right at the very place 
that you were to do in accordance with the cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, you're not going to bear children. Uh, and, and people are just starting to go, oh, wow. And then they're starting to think, and that really happens. Mm-hmm. So like tomorrow mm-hmm. we're experiencing that. And the pregnant ladies in the congregation like, hey man, you know, yeah. you're starting to see these connections and then see um, implications of the word of God for your life. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, you do this, we try to emphasize this here in our church is that whenever you preach, whenever you read the Bible, you are help read it publicly. You're helping people to understand what God's really said. And God has spoken about all these things. I mean, God's not chopped up the special revelation to just certain spheres of life, but it addresses all of life. And if we have eyes to see it and we understand that, then as we preach, then we are helping people to say, oh, yes, you know, God has something to say about uh, how I get up in the morning, how I go to bed at night. God has something to say about the way that I do my job or what job I do or what opportunities I might take or might pass over. The, the Bible speaks to that. So, I mean, I'm delighted that here at Grace, the Lord's helping us to see that more and more. So we put a lot of emphasis on scripture reading. We put a lot of emphasis on scripture or preaching the scripture expositionally so that what is there is made known and is seen to be applicable to all of life. And man, to learn to do that, to to be given help, to think with the right kinds of sensitivities so that as you're preparing messages to preach, as you're preparing to teach God's people, as you're discipling them, you're doing so not just, you know, I want to show how these verses apply to you and Jesus and your personal piety, but no, this has something to say to you when you get up tomorrow morning and you go to work or whenever you're on your way to work and uh, your tires blow out or somebody crashes into your, okay, the word of God addresses that. Yeah. And uh, you know, so you can, you can see from those um, two analyses that we just made uh, how this idea would be applied to various subjects. You know, Dr. Tom Nettles will be doing church history. And so you think about church history, is it just, is church history just stories, just like just like scattered stories from church history that ha- that don't have a narrative, that don't connect, you know? And okay, no, well, that's not true. I mean, you can read stories from history like that and be edified mm-hmm. by them. But what is the what's the narrative going on? Yeah. What is how do you see God's providence of the church throughout history and the Word of God and the world of God? So God is Creator, God is Redeemer, and what is He doing through His church? He's building His church. Gates of hell will not prevail against it gates are defensive weapon and you see this church through various times various seasons bearing witness to the truth sometimes suffering persecution sometimes taking various forms and yet mm-hmm. through all of that a pillar and a buttress of the truth and so um that's this is going to be a encouraging exciting time to be at the institute of public theology yeah i want to encourage everyone who has an interest in this to just go check it out at institute of public theology.org uh, you can audit classes as well registration uh, will be opening june 15th or is open june 15th for um, the classes to be taught in the fall which is tom nettles his church history class will be the 23rd through the 27th of august and my class on pastoral theology in the public square will be the 30th of august through the the 3rd of September. And then right in the middle of that, on that Saturday, between those two courses that are back to back, we're going to have our first convocation. And Dr. Everett Piper is going to be our keynote speaker for this convocation. And I, I just can't be more excited uh, about this because uh, he, he is a man who has taken a stand for truth in higher education. He paid a price for it. And yet he has issued some rallying cries uh, to others to recognize, okay, you know, we're not dealing with a, a, a daycare here. Uh, this is a place where minds are to be shaped 
according to the Word of God. So we're going to hear from Dr. Piper. We'll have uh, that Sunday as well, special emphasis in the, the, the time before our morning worship service. So I encourage you, even if you're not taking classes, to mark the 28th of August on your calendar. It's going to be a great opportunity to get a, a little bit of the flavor of what we're doing in IOPT. And let me say one more thing. You know, one of the things God's done, I mean, he's, just, he's blessed every step of the way. We could not be where we are today, given the, the short time frame, without God's evident blessing. In fact, uh, <laughs> one of our board members is a pilot, and uh, he didn't like me using this analogy, but I kept using it all through the fall and the early spring, is, uh, brothers, we are building the plane as it is on the runway trying to take off. <laughs> you know, we're trying to get all the pieces Tighten that together. bolt, man. Yeah, because we're, we're getting it in the air. And by God's grace, that has happened. And it couldn't have happened without uh, financial support. And God has raised up people that have said, we want to invest in this. Obviously, this is a massive undertaking. It takes a lot of money, financial resources. And we have a very generous donor who has been raised up by God who said he will match any gifts that come in to IOPT. So if you've been thinking about contributing or if you know this, uh, others that might be interested in contributing, your gifts to the Institute of Public Theology can be doubled if you will give them specifically for that ministry. If you want more information about that, you can call and talk to one of us or get on the website. There's a place that you can give directly there. We'll be glad to facilitate that. But we thank those who have already given and we would just encourage you that if the Lord has provided means to you, uh, if you'd give, know that we when you do so, every dollar you give will result in $2 to the Institute of Public Theology. If you've enjoyed this conversation and you're a little more interested in the uh, Institute of Public Theology, we have released about an hour-long roundtable uh, discussion with you, Tom, me, with Vody Bauckham, uh, with Tom Nettles. And that is now uh, out. You can actually access that and probably go to founders.org or go to our social media. It's going to be kind of plastered everywhere. So um, go and watch that. And we actually have a very short introductory clip that we'll play for you now as we sign off. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trowel. Men of conviction, that's what I want. If I'm going to go for training, if I'm going to commend men to training, I want them to sit under men who have conviction and who have blood mixed with that conviction so that the conviction is not just theoretical. It's not just, oh yeah, we sign all the documents and yeah, here's our confession at 30,000 feet. But no, we got mud on our boots. You know, we've been in the trenches. We know what it is to engage day by day in the drudgery work of trying to make Jesus Christ known. And I'm thinking, I want a group of theological men trained up, ready to go and say, yes, I'm, I'm not going to preach this part of the Bible that I know everyone already agrees with, that I know everyone is already secure on. There is no threat to the people on, on this point. Yes, we're gonna preach the whole council, but I have the wisdom to say, like the sons of Issachar, we know the times and this is a truth that's under attack. This is where the enemy is coming in and we're willing to preach God's word there, think biblically, theologically, and then announce that word to God's people. And so this Institute for Public Theology, I see is, is people perhaps who've been trained within a Protestant environment, who've been trained within, within Christianity, have, have good devotional lives, they, they love the gospel, but they have not had that confrontation with the world that Justin already had and that it's, in a sense the Apostle Paul already had as someone antagonistic to Christian faith. So. Once he saw Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, as the Christ, he was formidable in his, in his defense of those realities. That's what I think a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians are wanting. But how is it I interact with all of these, 
these uh, intellectual ideas and political ideas that are impinging on us that are really going to change the way we function. How do I do that? And what does our culture say? Our culture says the church is fine as long as it stays in its lane. You go exist in this ethereal plane, but don't ever come down to ground level and start trying to interfere with the family you know, with the, the state, you know, so on and so forth. You know, don't do that. Just stay in your lane. And you, you, you can't do that because the God who created the world created the world and everything in it. And he created it all for his glory. We can't understand what those institutions are apart from God, let alone understand why they exist or have them function properly apart from God. It, it's, it's wrong. It's broken. And so the whole idea of the Institute of Public Theology is about, you know, re repairing the breach, if you will.